Well, of course, I join with Brother Justin in welcoming you here tonight, thanking you for being here. Um, as he mentioned, we got a lot of verses tonight. We're going to plow right through it. Um, I, Dave's been running together for me, and I know I wasn't here. Uh, I think um, we, we covered verse 1 through 22 two weeks ago, and uh, I think it might have been quarantining or something. I don't know. But we, we need to recap a little bit. There, it's honestly the first part and the second part could have been broken up as separate chapters. Um, but there's just a couple of things in, in the first part that are a little bit relevant to the situations that, that we find here. Um, but, but this is a, a big chapter with a lot of verses and a lot of repetition because it's important not to keep saying the same thing over and over. But it's, it's really meaty. It's a, it, it's a big topic. Uh, I really enjoyed this study, and, and I hope you will too. So just a brief recap of the first part of John 6. <clears throat> uh, Jesus miraculously fed the multitudes. I don't know about y'all, but I'm hearing an echo. The light's on. Okay. I'll just deal with it. Okay. That's better. <laughs> five loaves of bread, two fish, 5,000 people. So that was the miraculous feeding uh, that happened in, in the first part of this chapter. Jesus was then kind of hiding from people because they were trying to forcibly crown him king. And there's some, there's some prophecy kind of alluding to that, but I could see how that could have turned into quite the uproar because, you know, Jesus was going to have things his way. And a lot of times rather than use his power as God to do things like prevent his death and his capture until it was time, he would just sort of skirt the situation. And that's what he did. He just sort of slipped away, and they couldn't get a hold of him to crown him king, and that was a better way to handle that. Um, also, in this, in this chapter, we see the disciples leaving that area from where they had the, the feast, and uh, it's after dark. They get in a boat. They get caught in a storm. Jesus walks on water, scares them to death, they figure out who it is. He, he, you know, acknowledges, they acknowledge, okay, it's Jesus. They accept him. They get, they get him on the boat, and all of a sudden, everything's calm and good, and, and they're there safely. And um, I don't know if what the lesson derived out of that, but it just struck me as, well, you accept Jesus, and suddenly you're safe. Get where you need to be, and that's how that worked. Um, but I would note in, in Mark's account of that in chapter 6, verses 48 through 52, that the wind calms. There's a little bit more detail. The disciples marveled. And why would they marvel at seeing Jesus walk on water right after seeing him feed 5,000 people with two fish and five loaves of bread? And it says in, in Mark's account there that their heart was hardened, which I think is, is important to some of the context uh, that's, that's about to come up in these next few verses. So jumping into our text here, starting in verse 22, John 6, says, On the following day, when the people who were standing on the other side of the sea saw that there was no other boat there except the one which his disciples had entered, and that Jesus had not entered the boat with his disciples, but his disciples had gone away. However, other boats came from Tiberias, near the place where they ate the bread after the Lord gave thanks. When the people therefore saw that Jesus was not there, nor his disciples, they also got into boats and came to Capernaum seeking Jesus. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? I bet I read that ten times in five different translations. That did not turn into plain spoken English very well. Um, but what that is saying is that you know, the next day after these events, uh, the people were there, and they, they know there was a boat there. They know the disciples got in there. They know that Jesus wasn't with them, and the boat left. And so, okay, where's Jesus? And they're looking for him, and he's up on the mountain praying and ducking this uh, situation where they're trying to crown him king. And so they kind of just put two and two together, and they figure out that Jesus just slipped away somewhere. So there's some other boats coming, and they get on that, and they go up to Capernaum, about seven miles or so, looking at the map, um, 
to try to find Jesus. They catch up with him there. And that's not like a complicated thing, but I had the hardest time reading that and piecing the language together. But that's, that's what they're saying there. Um, they get there and they're like, how'd you get here? Where'd you, how'd you evade us? How'd you sneak away from us? What's going on here? Rabbi, when did you come here? Um, Jesus knows right off the bat that, that they're after him and, and why. It says in verse 26, Jesus answered them and said, Most assuredly, I say to you, you seek me not because you saw the signs, but because you ate of the loaves and were filled. Do not labor for the food which perishes, but for the food which endures to everlasting life, which the Son of Man will give you, because God the Father has set his seal on you. Now, I really can't blame the people's mindset, right? So you get fed. You're hearing a lot of great things that you like. It's, it's obviously something amazing, something important. You want to be there, and hey, we're taken care of. Jesus can take care of us. The food appeared. We need to be with him, and he'll take care of us. They're thinking from a worldly perspective, and I, I mean, they just experienced that. I can understand that. Now, if Jesus wanted to, he could, we could be tripping over bread constantly. If that was the issue, if that was what was really important, he could feed them, and he could keep feeding them, and he could feed everybody in the world, and he could keep feeding everybody in the world, and bread could just be here. But that's not going to solve our problems. And he, it may solve, you know, a hunger problem or whatever is going on, and it, and it may not necessarily be a bad thing, but they're there because of that, and he's not just going to say, all right, stick with me, and the bread will come. I will continue to feed you. <clears throat> I, think it's, um, I think it's pretty interesting that all of this that we're going to talk about tonight with the bread and Jesus is on the heels of feeding 5,000, and it's kind of like a segue, and I think that may have been part of his plan. <clears throat> but I, I do think it's reasonable for them to get excited about him and the feeding and say, we got to go and, and be around this. But they just don't know yet what it is that they really need to be around. <clears throat> so then they said to him, what shall we do that we may work the works of God? What do we need to do? What does God want us to do? Jesus answered and said to them, this is the work of God, that you believe in him whom he sent. In verse 30, says, therefore, they said to him, what sign will you perform then that we may see it and believe you? What work will you do? Our fathers ate the manna in the desert. As it, as it is written, he gave them bread from heaven to eat. So they're like, okay, there's a food theme. Um, Jesus said, we need to believe in him. Okay, Jesus, what are you going to do so that we, that we you know, see a sign that we know that, that we need to believe in you? What work are you going to do? Remembering the manna in the desert. The people are seeking Jesus because they were just miraculously fed. And yet they need a sign after that miracle. I'm sure they've never seen 35 clowns get out of a doghouse-sized car before. Did they not notice that five loaves of bread and two small fish got passed around until 5,000 people were stuffed? And then there was 12 baskets of leftovers? That math doesn't add up, right? So that's a miracle. And then they're saying the next day, we need a sign, Jesus. <clears throat> now, reference back to that uh, Mark's account there of Jesus walking on the water. And if the disciples were amazed... By Jesus walking on the water due to the fact that their hearts had been hardened about this miraculous buffet, we got to wonder why. Because Jesus was performing miracles, and he had compassion for the hungry crowd. And miracles, they, they had purpose in, uh, in God's plan. But he had just dodged this crowd that was trying to force him into to being king after seeing miracles. And that was kind of a problem in what he was doing there. Now, the Bible doesn't tell us that he hardened the heart of everyone that was there to be fed. But it clearly says that was the case for the disciples in the boat with respect to this miracle of the feeding. And it seems to be that these people are acknowledging the miracle because they are there seeking food. They're there because of it. But on the other hand, they're not acknowledging that it's a suitable sign to prove that he's Christ. So they kind of seem to also have their hearts hardened too. But the subject of the bread is precisely the subject that's central to this whole chapter. 
And with Jesus knowing the hearts of people, I just got to wonder if, if feeding them and making them kind of crave more food and, and kind of be on this food, food mission, whatever they're doing there, I, I got I to feel like that's kind of his plan. So reading on verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. He who comes to me shall never hunger and he who believes in me shall never thirst. But I said to you that you have seen me and you do not believe. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out, for I have come down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him who sent me. This is the will of the Father who sent me, that all he has given me, that of all he has given me I should lose nothing, but raise it up that last day. And this is the will of him who sent me, that everyone who sees the Son and believes in him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. <clears throat> so Jesus jumps right into this topic about being the bread of the life. But he's going to be repetitive in the coming verses for the purpose of driving it home and partially in the course of, of conversation with these people that aren't understanding. And we'll read a bit about more about the bread and, and really kind of pick that apart. But I just want to kind of mention verse 37 here. All, the Father, all that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So there's, some people would kind of think of this as, well, God is predetermining who's going to be saved, and, and he's going to send those people to him. But I don't think that's true. But I do think that it's because of God that we find Jesus. It's, uh, I, th- I think that uh, Brother Ian used the term divine preservation, talking about the word. It's, it's a, it is a work of God that the books of the Bible go hand in hand. They don't conflict, that they've survived all, the evolution of human language, that we can find Jesus. That is how God is getting us to come to him. And all we have to do is follow that lead, follow that draw, and Jesus will by no means cast us out. He will accept us. We come to him because God makes that possible for us, and he's there for us. <clears throat> so in verse 41, the Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, this is, is this not Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? So they're going to raise an eyebrow about the whole consuming bread thing in the coming verses. But right off the bat, bread or not, Jesus says he's from heaven and they ain't buying it. They're like, really? We know your parents. We know where you came from. You were born. You didn't come from heaven, you were born. So they're like right off the bat skeptical. Jesus therefore answered and said to them, do not murmur among yourselves. No one can come to me unless the father who sent me draws him and I will raise him up at that last day. It is written in the prophets and they shall all be taught by God. Therefore, not everyone who has heard and learned from the father, back up, therefore everyone, who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. So again, here Jesus is uh, people. He's saying people come to him because Father draws them to him. All shall be taught by the Father, and anyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to Jesus. And this is what I mean with with the enemies of Christianity and and how everything has survived. It's it's God's providence that we are drawn to Jesus, <clears throat> and we come to him. That's that we, we follow the draw and we come to Jesus. That's, the, that's where the path leads. Verse 46, <clears throat> not that anyone has seen the Father, except he who is from God, he has seen the Father. Most assuredly, I say to you, he who believes in me has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in their wilderness and they're dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever and the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Now, we basically get to Jesus saying, I'm not kidding about this bread thing. I'm the bread, and you've got to eat me if you want to live forever. 
really pushing this controversial topic here on, on these people. <clears throat> In 52, it says that the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves, saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, and my blood is drinking. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven. Not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Now, <clears throat> that is getting really detailed in the food analogy. You can kind of say, well, he doesn't really mean to eat us, to, to eat his body and drink his blood. And then he comes out and says, whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. <clears throat> this is still an analogy, right? So they didn't take his body off the cross and divvy it up, feed people with, with his flesh. But by accepting his body on the cross, his flesh given to us, when we accept it, we are taking it. We are taking that sacrifice. We are partaking of his death, partaking of his sacrifice, of his flesh, of his giving of his flesh. It's the analogy of eating it. <clears throat> Everything ab about this is about his sacrifice. And it's about how if we feed on that what's been given, if we feed on that gift of his sacrifice, our souls will survive. Our souls will live forever. Now, he does clarify in the coming verses that it's, that it's a spiritual thing, but it's, it is so much a parallel of eating. We can't sustain our body without taking something in, without having food and drink. The body will die without it. We can't sustain our soul without taking in his sacrifice. The soul will die without it. <clears throat> now, in verse 60, after hearing that, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, Does this offend you? What then, if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit. They are life. But there are some of you who do not believe. For Jesus knew from the beginning who they were, who did not believe, and who would betray him. And he said, Therefore I have said to you that no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by the Father. Now I really want to give these people a break. So we've grown up understanding that Jesus is the bread of life. The communion service that we are commanded to partake in is well understood to be a reminder that he gave his flesh, represented by bread, and his blood, represented by drink. When we accept the offer of salvation, we are accepting the offer of him being punished on the cross instead of us burning in hell. We eat that cracker as a reminder that we're accepting this deal. We're partaking of it. It's still a little bit of a common figure of speech for people to say that they'll drink of this cup, even in a context not related to Christianity, to accept something difficult, sometimes called drinking of the cup. So for example, uh, say you want to be a Navy SEAL and somebody says, you know what they go through? Are you sure you want to drink of that cup? <clears throat> it's a symbolic thing, symbolic phrase for accepting a situation or a challenge or a state of being. In our case, when we drink of the cup, we're signing up for Christian life. We accept our Savior. We understand that we have to follow him. We partake of the cup. We might be immediately given grace, but that doesn't mean it's over. To follow him is our cup to drink. But again, back to these people. They didn't understand this. And it's, and it's hard to see why Jesus would say it in this way. Why not just explain it more clearly? He could, he could make them understand without the analogy. But I think that the real reason is you got to want it. He who has ears to hear, right? 
did they have ears to hear or did they have a belly for a free lunch that that was really their draw and it's not that he was speaking in a code that was impossible to crack i mean he tells them plainly in, in verse 62 that it's going to be just as hard to comprehend him ascending to heaven when they're already skeptical of him coming from heaven anyway and in 63 he says that this whole thing is spiritual not carnal but it's not going to do him any good to, to continue to clarify because he knows that some don't believe and that they're going to leave <clears throat> verse 66 from that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more then jesus said to the 12 do you also want to go away but simon peter answered him lord to whom shall we go you have the words of eternal life also we've come to believe and know that you are the christ the son of the living god jesus answered them did i not choose you the 12 and one of you is a devil he spoke of judas iscariot the son of simon for it was he who would betray him being one of the 12 how many of the 5,000 people that got fed did get into those boats and, and chase him down, caught up with him in Capernaum? I don't know. And, and how many of that group left when they couldn't get past this whole eating Jesus thing? I don't know that either. But I think about the 12. You know, just yesterday, just the day before, they had this massive crowd that got to witness this, this miracle with food. And then Jesus is walking on water, and it was marvelous. And then before you know it, Jesus puts something out there that's a tough pill to swallow, and everyone starts to bail on him. I imagine it didn't just get down to the 12. I mean, surely some of that crowd still stuck around. They're trying to accept this heavenly bread thing and they're, they're sticking around trying to figure it out. But a lot of them left, a lot of them. For the apostles, it had to have been disheartening. Maybe you know, troubling, making them sad, anxious. It's pretty tough. But when the tough gets going, the tough, when the going gets tough, the tough get going, right? That's, that's what I thought of here. This, when, when Simon Peter speaks up and says, who, who are we going to go to? You have the words of eternal life. He makes this this profession that Jesus is the Christ. To me, that's, that's the tough getting going. Um, Simon Peter is tough, spiritually speaking. He's not going to accept the mob mentality. He knows the truth. He knows what's right. And he's willing to stick it out. Despite this day turning out to be a big disappointment, he's firmly planted in his belief. And he makes the same confession that we have to make today, that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. He's that good bread that we got to have. And I don't know if you've been watching the news much lately or I'm not sure if you notice what's around you, but it's getting kind of tough out there. So the tough better get going. <clears throat> it's a tough thing to do a lot of stuff that, that we're called to do. Uh, sometimes it's just uh, asking for help, asking for prayers. And, and we have an invitation at this time for you to, to take advantage of that. You know, if, if the going's getting tough, it's tough to stay tough. You know, but we have each other and we have Jesus. And if you've not ever t partaken of that bread, if, if you need to accept the deal, say, yes, I will drink of that cup, then now's the time. And we'd offer the invitation as we stand and sing the song selected.